Welcome to the Running Explained podcast. I'm your host, Elizabeth. I'm a marathoner, coach, and answer seeker. When I first started running at the age of 29, I had so many questions and what felt like nowhere to turn to for answers. And now I'm here to answer all your running questions about anything that you might want to know. If you're a new runner or you've been doing this for a long time, there's always something more to learn about running. So let's get started. Hey everyone, welcome to the show. I'm Elizabeth, super excited to have you here listening wherever you are. And today I am going to be talking about training via time versus distance. So time-based training versus distance-based training, when, where, why, what, how, uh, and of course the ultimate answer is always going to be it depends. But training to time versus training to distance are both extraordinarily valid ways of training and we'll be talking about all kind of pros and cons and nuances and figure out which one might be best for you. And before we get started, just a quick update on what is happening in the Running Explained world. We have a couple spots left on our one-on-one coaching roster. I know fall races are coming up quickly. So if you're looking for coaching for your fall race, let's get a move on. We got to get started and get you going now to set you up for success on your race day. Of course, coaching is not the only thing that we have available. Group coaching led by me is available. Bi-weekly coaching calls, training plan, ton of educational modules is also available. A very cost-effective way to get coaching support for your full marathon or half marathon. And then of course, Training Plus is available for the self-coached athlete. It is a ton of training education and training plan with a coaching consult. Also have things like the double plan bundle and standalone training plans and master classes, a ton of options for you, no matter what your goal is. And you can find all of that information on my website, runningexplained.co, or check out the link in my Instagram bio at runningexplained. All right, let's dive in. Time versus distance. Here we go. So let's start with the very, very basics. Time-based versus distance-based training. Yes, you can train by either or a combination of both, but what does that look like? If you're following a distance-based plan, probably the type of plan that you're most familiar with, these are the most commonly available plans in general, your plan is going to be written to have you cover a specific number of miles or kilometers each time you go out for a run. So this would look like something like, on Tuesdays, I run three miles, and on Wednesdays, I run four miles, and on Thursdays, I have a rest day, and then Friday, you can see how how that goes. Your workouts may also be written to be distance-based, as in, oh, I am running 400-meter repeats, or I'm doing one mile, or I'm doing one kilometer at this specific intensity, and so your entire plan is written around covering a specific distance each time you go out for a run. Now, distance-based plans are very common because they're pretty easy to understand and why you would use distance-based training to train for a distance-based event, right? I think that's kind of one of the most common things to think about. Well, if you're training for an event, a race that is a certain distance, of course, it's really easy to conceptualize the distance you will run to prepare you for the distance you're going to race. You can say, yeah, so I, you know, when I go on an 11 mile long run, I see, I understand, and that gives me a better sense of what it will be like for me to run my half marathon, my 13.1 mile race. It makes sense. That helps you train for a distance. Distance based training helps you train for a distance. Does time based training do the same thing? Yes, it does. Um, 
like I said before, there's really no right or wrong answer here. It really just does depend on a lot of, I mean, personal preference, but also certain situations in which you are trying to accomplish and making sure that it's appropriate for you. There are obvious pluses and minuses to both. So there's don't think like, oh, I should be training by this or I should be training for another. Not necessarily, but we're going to talk about some of the the pitfalls of training to distance when you should be training to time and the differences when we compare athletes of different average speeds that they run, the differences they will experience in training to time versus training to distance. So training to distance, like obviously, like I said, probably the most common, common type of plan you've encountered. When I started running, the first types of plans I encountered were distance-based plans. Obviously, it made sense. I was training to run a distance, so I picked a plan that helped me run that distance, right? Easy peasy. Now, distance-based training is actually preferable for some people in how they conceptualize their training. And so we're going to talk about in this conversation kind of two things. One, what's easiest for the individual, what what speaks to the individual runner the most. And I've worked with a ton of athletes who prefer time-based, ton of athletes who prefer distance-based training, and then a bunch of athletes who don't care, (laughs) who just tell me what to do and I'll do it, right? But there are some people, some some among us, who end up doing better just the way that we approach our runs and our workouts if it's if it's programmed in one versus the other and for some people that genuinely is by distance for some people thinking about a distance-based plan they think you know what it doesn't matter how long it takes me i know i just have to cover this certain distance and so they have no problem executing the purpose of the workout or the easy effort run as it should be on most days, just saying, I'm going to go trot along, get my miles in, or I'm going to do this workout and an easy, that's like wrap a bow on it. Like my brain loves it. This is really easy for me to do. However, there are a bunch of runners who are accustomed to training by distance and actually don't realize that it might be not serving them as well from a, how they approach their training perspective. And this can happen when a runner And this happened to me, so I'm very, very, very familiar with it. Let's say you're supposed to run five miles on Wednesday and you're a little crunched for time. So what do you do? You run your five miles just a little bit faster than you should, right? And you maybe do a little kick it up for a little fast finish and you tell yourself, oh, it's good. I needed that neuromuscular stimulus today. It felt really good to run fast and, you know, test my fitness. And you know what? I got my mileage in. So that's the only thing that matters. Is it, is mileage the only thing that matters when you run? I don't think so. Actually, I know it's not. That was a, that was a rhetorical question. It's not, you did it wrong. You'd made the wrong choice because what you actually needed to do, let's say this five mile run was an easy effort run. When you ran five miles at a not easy pace, you didn't actually do the run you were supposed to do. You did a different run. You did a different thing. It's not a bad thing necessarily, but you didn't do what you were supposed to do. And so a lot of times when runners are following a a distance-based plan, they shoehorn the distance that they're supposed to run on any given day into the time they have available. And that either ends up with them accepting that they're going to be (laughs) running late all the time 
but um, not many people are going to be making that option. A lot of people following a time-based, sorry, following a distance-based plan with limited time or like, I don't have time to get all five miles in. I probably could have run, you know, four, four and a quarter in that time, but you know, I, it said five miles. So I ran five miles. I just ran it faster. Not the right decision. What we really needed you to do was to spend a certain amount of time in a certain intensity zone, not five miles specifically. We just needed you to spend, based on <laughs> based on what we know about what but I know about how workouts are planned, probably spend anywhere between 45 and 60 minutes in your easy effort zone. That's all I wanted. If I write five miles, that's all I want. I want you to spend between 45 and 60 minutes in your easy effort zone. Five miles easy, that's it. And so when you run five miles faster than easy, you have actually sabotaged yourself without realizing it because mileage is not the only thing that matters. And in fact, in a lot of situations, mileage is the least important thing about the training that you're doing because what we're really doing at the end of the day is in most situations, simply getting you into a certain intensity zone for a certain amount of time. And yeah, there are some people who you can show them a time-based and a distance-based plan and they will look at it and say, well, based on the paces that I run, these plans are literally the same thing. They are expressing the same thing in two different ways. But you have a lot of people who are going to be looking at a time-based or different distance-based plan, and actually it's going to be telling them different things. Because the time it will take them to cover the distance will be greater than a time-based plan or the time that they need to spend running. Because the secret to running is not actually doing as much as you humanly, physically possibly can. The secret to becoming a really great runner is to find what we call the minimum effective dose. The least amount of training you can do and still achieve your goals and be a really good runner. Now, for a lot, this isn't nothing. Like the minimum effective dose for a lot of people is still running multiple times per week. We're in double digit mileage. We're running a lot, right? And the minimum effective dose is still not that little. It's still a, a pretty hefty dose. But you don't need to be out there running 100 miles a week for the vast majority of runners. You literally couldn't. I couldn't run 100 miles a week. Stay injury free. I mean, I may be able to do it for one week, but then I need like a month of recovery. The minimum effective dose, right? So if you are thinking about your training only in terms of being distance based let's let's shift that perspective let's let's bring in the underlying what we're actually trying to do here which is to in most cases spend a certain amount of time in a certain intensity zone and in distance based plans we often achieve that by writing a distance but what we're really doing in most situations is just trying to get you to spend time in intensity and obviously there are gonna be some situations in which writing something that is distance-based is gonna be more appropriate or more applicable than something that is time-based, right? So I'm thinking specifically about when we are in kind of the nitty-gritty throes of doing race-specific work. You know, I, of course, I, I totally can, right? You race-based workouts that are time-based, but you're probably conceptually going to feel stronger and more confident if we're writing those distance-based. Now, it's really interesting, and I think anybody who's worked with me one-on-one -on -one has probably seen me do this, is that 
when you know what we're targeting and where you, when you know what your fitness is, you really can write it either way. It really depends on what you're trying to do. So if I have a runner, let's say, for example, I have a, I'm going to use whole round numbers because that's really easy. If I have a runner who is targeting, let's say, eight minutes for their marathon pace, that's what their, where their fitness is, what they're aiming for. If I have them then do a 10 mile marathon pace tempo, late stage marathon training workout, right? Hefty midweek workout, big, big, big old dose of continuous marathon pace work, uh, running and a workout. If I have them do 10 miles at marathon pace, 10 times eight, they're going to, that's about 80 minutes of marathon pace work right? So I can write it either way, right? And so maybe in, depending on where they are, maybe we'll have them do 75 minutes, maybe we'll have them do 90 minutes, right? It really depends. So um, if I were to have that same runner whose uh, marathon goal pace is 10 minutes per mile, do a 10 mile marathon pace tempo, that would be almost two hours of running. That would be a significantly different and higher stimulus, and you might say, well, that makes sense because the person who's running the 10 minute pace is going to be out there for longer than the person who's running eight minute pace. And that is true, but we still can't ignore that the actual dose and heftiness of the amount of work we are doing in any given session has to be appropriate for the runner and the session. So all of this, this all, it's kind of like a little, little column A, a little column B, right? You can see how we can write the same thing both ways. And you can see how the same thing would be run differently by two different runners. And this is where understanding the, what am I trying to accomplish here in this workout? And that will help you understand, even if you're looking at distance-based training or time-based training, kind of see, well, if I were to convert it into this or convert it into that, or like what is really going on here? I love distance-based training because it's really accessible and approachable. And it really helps build, build runners confidence, right? To literally see yourself running more, more volume week by week. There is nothing like that to build confidence, but we have to make sure that the runner who is following a distance-based plan is following a plan that's appropriate for them in training volume, not training mileage, training time volume. And we also have to make sure that they are, the distance-based plan is then not encouraging them to develop bad habits. Like, what did I say? shoehorning a, a run into less time and running faster than they should on that day. Call it a time crunched tempo. <laughs> That's what I call it. And my runners are hearing me, heard me refer to that time crunched tempo. A time crunched tempo is when you uh, uh, run a tempo run on a day you aren't supposed to because you didn't have enough time to run all your distance in an easy effort. <laughs> That's a time crunch tempo. So time-based training obviously eliminates a lot of these issues here about, yeah, if all I'm supposed to do is spend a certain amount of time in a certain intensity zone, give me that time-based plan. Sure, did 30 minutes here, an hour here, 90 minutes there. Yeah, awesome. What's the drawback here? Um, well, again, we have to make sure that the, the, the time we're spending is appropriate for the runner. And I have to say, I have to say there are a lot of runners who are very resistant to using time-based training in their training plans. And um, I usually train my private athletes by a combination of both, unless we've specifically discussed training only by distance and the kind of the pros and cons and drawbacks and all of that to approaching that and making sure it's appropriate for them. But using, I mean, both. And, and even if you are following a distance-based plan, you may still have time-based workouts because there are certain types of workouts that we do where we have to make sure that whoever is following that plan, they're following that plan to spend a certain amount of time in a certain intensity zone. And that really, 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 really matters when we're talking about 
work, the big work, the, uh, the work that's not easy, the harder work, tempo, speed work, all those types of workouts. But for a lot of people following a time-based plan, uh, gets them a little anxious because they think, well, you know, if I'm supposed to run for an hour, let's let's pull the hour out of our hat. I'm supposed to run for an hour, you know, for me personally, maybe that's only going to get me four and a half or five miles for my easy effort run. And you're telling me that running four and a half to five miles, that's enough, but I'm training for this distance or this other distance-based plan So I'm supposed to be running six miles. Well, yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, yeah, because spending an hour in, in this example, your easy effort zone, we are trying to drive certain adaptations and create a certain stimulus while not doing too much. And different runs of different lengths do different things. So we can broadly think about kind of a 30 minute continuous run or run walk, a 30 minute continuous session is going to be the minimum that most people are going to be aiming for in their training, right? So building up to be able to run or run walk or do a 30 minute continuous session, that's really the base, kind of the base, the foundation, kind of the minimum effective dose of any individual run. Now, some people might say 20 minutes, right? And that's fine. Yes, absolutely. 20 minutes is also, it was also a a good stimulus, but for most people in most training situations, especially with this, um, you know, real endurance building, we want to be, you know, thinking about 30 continuous minutes is kind of the, the minimum effective session in our training. And you might be the kind of runner right now who's only who's 30 minutes continuous. Like that is that is all your sessions. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's just where you are. And that's fantastic. But that 30 continuous minute mark is really where we start to aim for when we're talking about building endurance. Past few months, I found myself being woken up very early by this incredibly bright thing in the sky. I think it's called the sun, the sun, I think it's called the sun. And I think it's here early in the morning now that we are approaching the longer days of summer here in the Northern Hemisphere. I am pro sunshine. I cannot get enough, but just like everybody else, I hate it when it gets in my eyes. And so to prevent that from happening on my morning runs, I always make sure to wear a pair of Gooder sunglasses. Gooders are my favorite sunglasses and they are available in so many styles and colors now. There is absolutely a pair out there for everyone. Starting at only $25 a pair. So yes, when your dog eats them, you can buy another one without crying over too much spilt milk or, you know, lost wallet dollars. They are polarized, no slip, no bounce. They have a one year warranty and now you can get free shipping on your first order from gooder.com using code RUNEXP. That's code R-U-N-E-X-P for free shipping on gooder.com. Don't wait, go grab them now before the sun disappears. That's G-O-O-D-R.com. Look good, run gooder. Obviously as the, as run runs increase in length or duration distance, they become more taxing even when done at an easy effort, right? So around the 60 minute mark, just to kind of give you some context, anything between 30 and about 75 minutes at easy effort pace is considered a normal easy effort run. It depends on how long it is will depend on who you are and what you're training for and what your experience is and yada, 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 all that kind of stuff. Above 75 minutes, we start to consider we're kind of flirting on the edges of a longer run. 90 minutes becomes physiologically a long run. That's when we start to see you know, significant glycogen depletion and you know some fatigue and more fatigue in our muscle fibers and all that kind of stuff. I'm not going to get into all of that today, but broadly speaking, that's what we start to see. 
And then, of course, for most people, we're going to be capping our long runs at between three to four hours, right? So three, three and a half hours for marathoners who are running in the four to 4.30 range and faster. And uh, for a four-hour long run cap for me is for my marathoners who are in the six-plus-hour range. But that because we, so we have kind of our parameters, be like, you know, my runs are going to be somewhere between this distance, this time, this time, this distance, this time. So if you're following a time-based plan and you're wondering, you know, maybe I'm the kind of runner who, yeah, it takes me, you know, about an hour. I'm going to cover about four and a half, maybe five miles, maybe a little bit less, right? Will that still prepare me to run my race? And probably yes. Yeah. Because what we're doing is spending an hour developing your system. And that that's the same for everybody. I spend an hour running easy. You spend an hour running easy. The person over there spends an hour running easy. That's an hour of easy running. And no matter who you are, we're going to have approximately or roughly the same kind of response to it. Now, not everybody and kind of, and this is like where all the nuance kind of comes in that yes, if all of your runs right now are 30 minutes and you go and run for an hour, that's going to be significantly taxing on your body. If you are accustomed to running 75 minutes most days and you can easily run for three or three and a half hours right now if I asked you to a 60 minute run the stimulus won't be as great right because you're more adapted to it but broadly speaking an hour is an hour is an hour but if I have three different runners run for an hour and they all run different paces they're going to cover different distances. But I, again, what I address this because I understand like kind of where the concern comes in, especially for runners who tend to be on the slower end of the pace spectrum. How will running time-based prepare me to run the distance? Because it is simply about develop, how, manipulating how the human body responds to training stimuluses of different durations and intensities in order to prepare you for race day. I know a ton of runners who swear by 100% time-based plans. And I personally have trained a ton of runners very successfully. <laughs> and 100% time-based plans. But more often than not, we're really often looking at a combination of both. Now for runners who are super busy and you're following a distance-based plan, you've probably run into more than one time crunch tempo, maybe in the last week. There is an easy kind of broad conversion you can do. Hey, am I spending the right time in the right intensity zone? I don't have time to get all of this volume and all this mileage in today. What should I do? How should I approach it? The simplest conversion you can do is to take the plan that you're following, the distance-based plan you're following in miles, not kilometers, in miles, and times it by 10. And then we'll kind of give you, I'll give you some other guidelines, right? So you're supposed to run six miles times it by 10, 60 minutes. Now for my runners who would normally complete that if they if, if they actually went out and ran 6 miles in in this example in their true easy effort zone and it would take them less than an hour I say give yourself a 10 minute window on the other side right so between 50 and 60 minutes right so if you're going to go out and you can easily just throw down 6 miles maybe it takes you about 48 50 minutes on any given day in general right yeah about 40 you know so we we have a, a something to tell aim for 45, 50 minutes, you know, 60 minutes if you're feeling really amped up, right? But knowing how long it would normally take you to run that distance, if it takes you less than the miles times 10, kind of aim for that. For my runners who, and this is gonna be most of us, right? Probably, statistically, right? I know what all the average times are in this country. (laughs) We're all regular people. 
for those of us who are going to be looking at six miles taking us longer than 60 minutes to accomplish, you can give yourself about a 10 minute window in the other direction, but then I then I'd cap it off, right? So if you're normally the kind of person who's gonna take you more than 60 minutes to run the six miles, 60 to 70 minutes in your easy effort zone. It's that simple. It's that simple. And especially for people who have chosen, and we're going to talk about this in a minute, people who have chosen a distance-based plan that is not an appropriate training volume for them, this will help, I think, a lot. Uh, Because there are some distance-based plans, especially when we talk about more performance-based and higher volume plans, which are written assuming that a runner is going to be completing these distances in a certain time range. And what do I mean by this? When you get into kind of the higher levels of performance-based plans, you know, we're talking 40, 50, 60 plus miles per week, there is going to be the assumption, rightly or wrongly, on behalf of most of the plan writers, and there's some very, very famous um, coaches, well-known coaches who've written books, who have written uh, plans like this, that you can say, well, yeah, I mean, I'm following this plan and I have these goals and I'm running 50 miles a week or 60 miles a week. But for you, the runner, for you as an individual runner, the paces that you're currently running mean that you're actually doing way too much time-based volume and possibly spending too much time doing specific workouts. What do I mean by this? So let's consider three runners. Each runner is running about 40 miles per week. Runner A averages between all their workouts and their easy effort runs, averages about eight minutes per mile on everything. You take all the distance they run, you take all the time that they run, you look at them and you say, this runner is averaging about eight minutes per mile, okay? You have runner B, who's averaging about 10 minutes per mile. And you have runner C, who's averaging about 12 minutes per mile. If each of those three runners follows the exact same 40 mile per week training plan, runner A will be running for about three, five hours, five and a third hours, a little over five hours. Runner B will be running for about six and a half hours a week per week. And runner C will be running for eight hours. Same plan, same mileage, big difference in how much time you spend training. And I don't know that a lot of people actually think about how much time do I, time, how much time do I spend running each week? And what does that mean? Right. Because, again, back to that minimum effective dose. And look, if you love to run, if all if you were if you had if you won the lottery and could do anything you wanted and all you wanted to do was run for 12 hours a day. Right. Like here, I'm not here to stop you. Right there. I get it. Like the benefits of running in and of themselves are great. And sometimes you just go out and you just want to run and you love to run. There's nothing wrong with that. But understanding how much are you actually running per week in a time based, not not volume, not distance, not not mileage. Many people probably haven't really thought about that because the stimulus of spending more time or less time is going to be different. So you can have three runners running the exact same mileage, but they're going to spend very different amounts of time training. Just runners don't often think about training like this, but if you're a triathlete, you probably do most of your time, most of your distance, I'm sorry, most of your training in time-based, time-based, not distance-based because it's really, you can't really equivalent uh, different sports, right? So you'll spend this much time swimming, you'll spend this much time biking, you'll spend this much time running. 
and it seems to train triathletes pretty well, right? Dime-based training? Heck yeah. Just to give you an idea, I think that the general um, time, training volume time for about a, for a half Ironman, so 70.3, is anywhere between 8 and 13 hours per week. Time-based training, you can learn a bunch of time-based plans out there. For most marathoners, we're going to be running at minimum six hours per week when we get into, you know, into the, the depths of marathon training. Most often it's going to be more like eight, possibly 10 hours per week. Um, but again, so you can see, all right, so we have three runners. Runner A is running a little over five hours a week and runner C is running eight hours a week and they're running the same distance, right? Let's talk about the actual what's happening in workouts when they're time-based versus distance-based. Because this, I think, will really help illustrate the whole time in intensity zone thing. Like I said, you can have workouts that are written by distance. You can have workouts that are written by time. And there are some situations, like I said, with going back to that marathon pace tempo run, that continuous marathon work. If we have 10 miles at marathon pace for an eight-minute eight uh, marathon pace runner, it's going to be about 80 minutes of work. Right. So if I know that and I'm writing a workout for one specific individual who I know their marathon pace is about eight minutes per mile, I could write it either way. I could write 80 minutes or I could write 10 miles. What about what am I trying to do here? I'm trying to get them to spend a hefty chunk of marathon pace work, but not too much. Broadly speaking, when you are running, writing a continuous uh, session versus a an interval session, you can typically fit more volume of work in an interval session because you can break it up with recovery, right? It's much harder, as we know, to run continuously at an intensity zone than it is to run a little bit and then take a break and then a little bit and take a break. It's much different to run 10 miles continuously at marathon pace than it is to run five by two miles at marathon pace with recovery in between. So broadly speaking, when you break things up into intervals, you can typically do a, a higher volume of work than you could if you were running continuously. But you also want to make sure that the vol the total volume of work that you're doing does not exceed your capacity to run that distance in general. What do I mean by this? Let's talk about lactate threshold workouts. I'm going back to a time-based workout or time-based threshold because this is an illustration of the whole oh, time creates time and intensity zone as a stimulus. Your lactate threshold is about your one hour race effort or one hour race pace. Your lactate threshold is a physiological threshold within your body as intensity rises. Your, uh, your body creates more energy anaerobically. Anaerobic glycolysis creates byproducts including lactate and hydrogen ions. And as your energy demands increase, as you run faster and you run faster for longer, your lactate levels rise along with hydrogen ions until they hit what's called your lactate threshold. Your lactate threshold is the point at which your body can no longer keep up with clearing lactate effectively and your lactate and hydrogen ion levels just go up, <laughs> right? So you can think of it this way. You're in a boat. There's a hole in the boat. And right now, the hole is such a size that you can easily keep, you know, bail out with the bucket that you have and keep afloat. Well, if the hole gets bigger, you can no longer keep up with bailing out the boat and you sink. <laughs> That's kind of kind of what lactate threshold is. And if you've taken any one of my... Um, 
group course, group training courses or training plus programs, you'll know that the lactate threshold module is accompanied by the classic video of I Love Lucy, Lucy and Ethel in the Chocolate Factory. As the conveyor belt uh, speeds up and speeds up and speeds up, they can no longer keep up and hilarity ensues. But lactate threshold is a one hour. This is this is what happens. Everybody's not everybody. Broadly speaking, your lactate threshold is your one hour race effort or race pace. For an elite level runner, a one hour half marathon runner, their lactate threshold is their half marathon pace or effort. For a one hour 10K runner, their lactate threshold is their one hour 10K pace or effort, right? So you can see same zone. Each of those runners has the capacity to run at that intensity level for that duration one simply happens to cover more distance than the other, but the zone is the same. And the time, when some, one person's lactate threshold is not going to be two hours and the other person's lactate threshold is going to be 20 minutes, right? It's, a, it's an hour. And yes, there is some trainability here, right? I'm glossing over a lot of the nuance because I'm trying to make a point. If I had those two runners each run six miles at their threshold pace, threshold effort, The elite runner would cover six miles in about 28 minutes, right? So, you know, a hefty chunk of continuous threshold work. Not crazy, especially for an elite caliber runner doing 28 continuous minutes at threshold. It's not that big of a deal. Uh, it's a good workout, right? Maybe we'll do some other stuff in there. Solid, solid workout. Six miles at lactate threshold pace for that athlete, completely appropriate. If I have my other runner, run six miles at lactate threshold, they're gonna be spending about 58 minutes covering that same distance. So I'm asking them to do 58 minutes of work at their 60 minute race effort. That's too much. That's so much. That's so much lactate threshold, especially especially continuous running, right? So first of all, we, we wanna make sure that when we are understanding how much work we can perform at a certain intensity because as intensity rises the duration we can spend in that zone decreases right i can't run three hours at my 5k pace that's impossible that's impossible just and i so we never want to approach we never want to do like 60 minutes of lactate threshold continue i would never basically would ask my runner to race that's what i've asked that's what i've that is what runner b is going to end up doing they're going to end up racing uh, their lactate threshold at full volume in their training. Not cool. Too much. Way too much. And even for very high volume and accomplished athletes, to be honest, you're going to max out a total continuous lactate threshold at probably about 45 minutes. You may, if you are a very high volume, very well-trained athlete, do a slightly higher volume. If you are doing intervals, right? So maybe you're doing three by 20 minutes with recovery in between. That's still 60 minutes of lactate threshold work. That's an incredibly advanced workout. And I'm trying to think about there, there aren't going to be that many people who are going to be able to successfully need to complete a workout like that in training, honestly. But you can see how the distance based nature of that workout obviously had hugely different applications. 
So this is where kind of the breakdown, like I said, there are going to be some times in which you you want to and should have workouts, especially if you're following a pre-written plan or a plan that wasn't written specifically for you, or maybe even if it was, I would hope that your plan writer took into account your, your specific paces. If we are following distance-based plans for workouts that I consider to be more like skill building, systems building workouts, right, there is going to be probably more benefit to having them be time-based rather than distance-based because we are only trying to get you to spend a certain amount of time in a certain intensity zone. Now, if you follow one of my pre-written plans, you'll see this, especially in the lactate threshold workouts, right? Those are all time-based. They have adult, you have a distance target for the day, but the actual workout, the reps themselves are time-based. And that's, that's for exactly this reason, this specific reason, because I know that you are all running very different paces and going from to very different places, but 10 minutes at lactate threshold is 10 minutes at lactate threshold. We can also look at this for VO2 max workouts, right? So what have I mentioned here? But I haven't talked, we've talked about marathon pace work briefly, but now we're talking about things like lactate threshold and VO2 max. These are physiological thresholds. These are pretty much, although, like I said, there is some trainability in individual athletes, there's not going to be that much variation. Like one person's lactate threshold, like I said, it's not going to be at 20 minutes or three hours or two hours, whatever it is. It's going to be roughly one hour. For VO2 max, another physiological threshold right? This is your VO2 max is the maximum, the the maximum rate of oxygen that your body can take up. Think about it as the total amount. (laughs) If you have, if you have a a fire hose delivering oxygen straight into your, into your uh, cells, this is the maximum rate that that hose can be on, right? So if, when, when your energy demands exceed the rate of oxygen that you can provide, that's it. There's no more oxygen. You can't increase anymore. You can't get any more oxygen. Everybody has a limit. Everybody has a rate, a limited rate, the maximum amount of oxygen you can deliver. Now doing work at VO2 max, depending again on the trainability of who you are, it's probably going to be anywhere between eight and maybe 10 or 12 minutes at VO2 max or very, very close, right? So if let's, if we're at like 98%, 99% of VO2 max, we can do a little bit more work. So what does this mean? What does this mean? If I write a, and we're talking about race pace. Now we're talking about race pace workouts, right? But we're talking about in the context of VO2 max. So if I have two runners, my same two runners, let's call them elite Eileen, even though my my fictitious runner in this example is running faster than the women's current world records at the distances that we're discussing. We'll call everyday Elizabeth, right? Elite Eileen and everyday Elizabeth. So if I have my two runners, let's have them run 10 by 400 at 5K pace. Right? We'll do a little speed workout. We'll say this is a VO2 max style workout. Well, VO2 max is is a is physiological zone, right? There's actually things that are happening and we have to be at a certain intensity level to approach our VO2 max. And Elite Eileen, the equivalent roughly of a one hour, uh, one hour half marathon, it's about 13 minute 5K. I told you these were like bonkers numbers, right? <laughs> 13 minute 5k she's gonna be running we're using hold up approximately four minutes and 15 seconds per mile so if i have her do a 400 meter repeat at her 5k pace she's going to cover that in about 64 seconds about 64 seconds a quarter which is a really fancy track way of saying she's going to run her 400 meter repeat in one minute and four seconds and if i have her do 10 of those she's going to be doing about 10 and a half minutes worth of total work at VO2 max. If I have everyday Elizabeth do this same workout, right? 10 
by 400 meters at 5k pace and we're having her 5k pace the equivalent of a 10k one hour 10k runner the equivalent 5k pace is approximately 28 minutes that would mean her 5k pace is approximately nine minutes per mile she's going to cover each quarter in two minutes and 15 seconds right and if i have her do 10 of these She's going to be doing 22 total minutes at 5K pace, but she's not going to be doing a VO2 max workout. She's going to be doing, a, she's going to be doing something different. She's going to be doing a 5K pace workout. It's going to be below VO2 max because you can't run at VO2 max for 28 minutes. And elite, uh, sorry, elite Eileen's 5K pace is roughly around her VO2 max because she's very, very fast. Everyday Elizabeth's VO2 max is faster than her 5K pace. So if she's doing a 5K paced repeat workout that's not targeting her vo2 max so just because you think well you know 5k pace is fast that must mean vo2 max not necessarily because vo2 max is a really high intensity and you also can't and probably shouldn't do a whole crap ton of work at it so let's actually back this up then let's say we had elite eileen and everyday elizabeth do a similar do the same workout that's time-based, right? Because in this example, Elite Eileen is spending 10 and a half minutes in at work and Elite Elizabeth, <clears throat> my 40 and slip, everyday Elizabeth is spending more than twice that amount of time, right? So already Elizabeth is doing twice the amount of actual work that Eileen is in that workout. And I think we don't really think about it that way that sometimes runners who are not super fast actually tend to do more work. They work more, they work harder. Yeah, if your 5K pace is nine minutes per mile or 10 minutes per mile or 11 minutes per mile, and you're doing a 5K repeat workout, 5K pace repeats, then you're gonna be doing a lot more work in your workout than somebody who is faster. And and that doesn't often get taken into consideration when we're doing distance-based training but it is something to remember and this is something I see a lot of runners beat themselves up about they come to me and they say I know I'm a slow runner I know I'm on the slow end like first of all I don't care I think you're awesome and amazing no matter who you are and whatever your goal is and whatever pace you currently run or run walk does not matter to me I do not care But what I want you to do is give yourself credit for all the dang hard work that you are doing (laughs) because you are working your butt off to do these same types of workouts that other people might be able to spend half the time doing, right? Hmm. We should be so lucky one day. So just kind of a side note, be proud of who you are. You're probably doing way more than you realize. So if we have, if, if our goal is to target VO2 max then, specifically in this physiological example of what we're trying to do, running a distance-based workout with a distance-based goal pace is a terrible way to do it. Now, if I, were, if I wrote that workout specifically for Elite Eileen to target her VO2 max, like I said, in the other example, if I know who the runner is and I know what we're trying to accomplish, yes, you can write the workout either way. I would actually considering Eileen's caliber one minute at VO2 max is like not going to be enough we'd want to probably spend uh you know a couple minutes per rep at VO2 max now for elite Eileen probably spending 22 minutes at VO2 max is too much right so what we're going to do we're going to make sure that we're probably doing fewer and faster intervals 
So for everyday Elizabeth, this might be something that looks like, you know, maybe we're maybe we're putting a pace on it. Maybe we're targeting <laughs> few recreational runners know what this means, but maybe 3K pace, right? The pace you could run a 3000 meter race it at, or depending on who you are, maybe your mile pace, your fastest mile is your VO2 max. But more often than not, it's going to be looks something like this. Let's say we'll do three by three minutes at 10 minute race pace. So probably about a nine out of 10 effort, eight and a half to nine effort, right? Not an all out sprint, but a very short, very hard interval. Same thing with lactate threshold, one hour race effort. If you know your pace, you can kind of throw that in as a target, but it should feel like one hour. And that's going to be different from when you write workouts that are distance-based and, and uh, goal-pace-based. Because the point of specific time-based workouts is often, like I said, to build the skill, to build the system, to spend a specific amount of time in the certain zone. And then often the, the goal with distance-based and goal and pace-based workouts is to prepare you to be able to run a certain distance over a certain duration, or sorry, a certain distance at a certain pace. You might think I just described the exact same thing, but I didn't because those are different. Those are different. If I'm simply building the systems, I am targeting time and intensity zone. And yes, there's going to be some overlap. This is not black and white and you can do both and you can have it be either depend either way and sometimes both ways, depending on what you're doing and how you're writing things and what you're trying to accomplish. But it's very different for me to say, we are going to improve our lactate threshold today and Another thing for me to say, we are going to work on half marathon pace today. It, it is a nuance, and I think it's it's an important distinction to have. The other thing I will say for time-based workouts in general, like I said, love them for my busy people. Love time-based training for my people who have a lot going on in their lives, which to be honest is probably most of you, because it's so much easier to know that all I have to do is run for 45 minutes today. I don't have to worry about hitting a certain distance. And I also find for my runners who really struggle with perfectionism in trying to achieve beautiful round numbers in their weekly mileage or who need to run or get really anxious if they can't run a certain amount of distance in the time that they have available, and our ten, tend to do those time crunch tempos, time-based training relieves them of the pressure and anxiety to do that. Because 45 minutes is 45 minutes and 60 minutes is 60 minutes. And no matter how fast or slow you go, you're still going to be running for 60 minutes. So you're the kind of person who are like, oh, I'm just, I want to get it over with. So I want to speed up. Mm-mm, you can't because you, you can't speed up time. So if you're supposed to be running for 60 minutes, you run for 60 minutes and it can take the pressure off for people who are very pace anxious. Remember, your pace does not matter on easy runs at all. Nada, never, it never matters. Your pace never, ever, 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 ever matters on easy runs. And if you're wondering, well, I'm following a distance-based plan and I don't have time to run all the distance, should I run faster or should I just run for the time I have available? The answer will always be run for the time you have available. Don't run faster than you should on easy days ever. <laughs> Just don't do it. There's absolutely no reason to. And actually you are sabotaging yourself by doing that. 
So thinking about, again, time versus distance, both valid ways to train. The one thing I will say, like I said, I, I train my runners by a combination of that privately. Uh, this typically looks like doing time-based training during the week and then when we are in race specific training, so we're training for a specific race distance, more often than not, we will be doing distance based long runs because we need to, we need to prep for a certain distance, right? Now I know roughly how long that individual runner who I'm writing a program for will spend to cover the distance, right? So this is another reason why I don't believe it's appropriate for every runner to have a 20 mile run in their marathon training plan because some runners are going to be spending four and a half, five, or maybe even six hours on their feet covering 20 miles at their easy effort pace. And you're going to have other runners who are going to be running that in like two hours and change. (laughs) Okay. Because it matters. It matters that our training is balanced and appropriate for what we're doing. So long runs for, for my runners tend to be written at a very specific distance. And I will also sometimes throw in like a time cut off. You are supposed to run this distance and not to exceed this time, right? But usually I have a really good idea, right? So if I write a 20 miler for somebody in their marathon training plan, I know that they're going to be covering it in a time that is appropriate for how much time they're spending on their feet. And for some of my runners, it is between, you know, three, three and a half hours, totally fine. There's nothing wrong with that as long as you're handling your long runs and your training effectively. You're recovering well, you're fueling during your runs, you're feeling alive after your long runs, you're not dead. But there is something about the, I think psychologically, doing our long runs that are distance-based when we are training for a certain distance that just keeps our head in the game and helps build that confidence. Now, not every runner needs this. There are, like I said, some runners who are fully bought into 100% time-based training. And I think that's great. And that can also work really, really, really well. Either will train you effectively, assuming it's appropriate for what you're trying to accomplish. So don't think that one is necessarily like better than the other. They're not. And like I said, they're effectively describing the same thing two ways in many situations. So. Hope you've learned a little something, something about time versus distance. Uh, Maybe you are examining the training that you are following now (laughs) and seeing, ah, interesting. What do I know about this? What is this actually trying to tell me? And making sure that the workouts you are doing are appropriate. I think that was the biggest thing. And I alluded to the whole, you know, other (laughs) following a distance-based plan that isn't appropriate for you as a runner. I did this. I followed a a plan from a coach I I greatly admire and actually really enjoy their training philosophy. But the plan that I was following was a higher volume was a couple years ago. It was a a higher volume plan that I followed um, that was in retrospect, like clearly written for somebody who was faster than I was like not a little bit, but quite a bit because I, that's where I came up with my, I don't do medium long runs that are longer than two hours rule. (laughs) Um, So I mentioned, you know, time-based runs, you know, runs that are a certain duration do different things. Kind of we're looking at mostly minimum, minimum session duration at about 30 minutes, easy effort runs, and most workouts are probably going to top out around 75 minutes, possibly 90 minutes, depending on what you're doing. And after 90 minutes, the thing that you're doing becomes physiologically a long run because you're looking at glycogen, significant glycogen depletion. You're looking at increased muscle fiber fatigue, like all these things, um, 
that become when you're running for 90 or longer continuous minutes. Yeah. It's a stressor. It's a big stressor on your body and it adds up. So when we are following distance-based plans, we have to make sure that they are appropriate because I was following this plan. It was a higher volume marathon training plan. And, um, one of the things, the staple that it had in it was this thing called the medium long run. Now, the medium long run is something that you're often going to find in higher volume marathon training plans. My level four plan has medium long runs. And this is a, so you have your long run, right? Your longest run of the week. And then your medium long run or your midweek long run is a longer run, not the long, not as long as your long run, but a longer run, typically between 90 minutes and two hours. And that is to spur additional aerobic endurance benefits in a pretty fatiguing way. It's most it's easy effort. The medium long run is almost entirely easy effort. And the whole point is to just make you tired. I mean, like, yes, not literally, but it kind of is, right? You're supposed to get used to fatiguing yourself and being in this fatigued state because the marathon is very fatiguing. And so I was following this plan and it had these midweek medium long runs that are getting up to like 12 or 14 or 15 miles. And at the time, you know, I was really proud of what I was doing, but that would take me easily over two hours to run 14 or 15 miles in the middle of a week on an easy effort run. So I, without knowing this before I became a coach, before I really learned about it, I was like, this seems like way too much. I'm not going to, I'm not going to run more than two hours on these runs. That just seems absolutely bonkers. Um, I was right. I was right. And I was also wrong because I was following a plan that wasn't appropriate for me. I didn't know it at the time, right? A lot of these plans don't come with, you must be this fast to follow this plan. But when you're following a distance-based plan, you kind of need to take that into consideration. I probably did too much. I probably did more than I needed to. I did more than the minimum effective dose. And on the other side of the minimum effective dose is the cliff of overtraining. <laughs> we don't want to, we don't want to go near that cliff. And this same plan also had distance-based lactate threshold runs in them. Oh my God, I can't run six miles at lactate threshold. Like I can do it, but that's hefty. Oh my God. Yeah. So it matters. It matters that you know what you're trying. You, it matters that you understand broadly whether the plan you're following is appropriate for you. And if not, how might you be able to change it? Right? So this is important stuff. But broadly, I hope the takeaway that you will get is that time and distance based are both completely valid ways to train. They have each have their pros and their cons, their pluses and their minuses. And there are going to be people who naturally gravitate towards training by one versus training by the other because of how they conceptualize and how they think about their training. And there are going to be people who should be training by one instead of the other because of how they conceptualize <laughs> their training. But remember, 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 at the end of the day, what we are trying to do is to create a specific set of adaptations spurred by time in an intensity zone. And when you boil it down to that, you realize how arbitrary chasing that specific mileage number becomes. I used to take incredible amounts of pride, like very, very huge focus on the mileage I ran each week. Because for me, I thought that mattered. The actual mileage I was running every week was the most important thing because Everybody knows running more makes you a better runner. Yeah, this is true, right? This is true. It is true. 
that people who run more volume, higher mileage tend to be faster. It just is. Now, is this like a universal truth? If you are faster, you need to run more. If you run more, you are going to get faster. No, there are people who are all over the spectrum. There are people who are running 50 miles a week, 70 miles a week, 80 miles a week, right? Who are very comfortable with where they currently are in their race paces and are not setting a world record anytime soon. But it's also very important for us to remember that like mileage, just because you can measure it and it's like super sexy and it's not, it's not an actual reflection of what the work you actually are doing is. It's not. And I understand like, and you might say, no, 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 that's not true. I'm like, well, but it kind of is true, right? Because if I have my three runners, I, they're all running 40 miles a week and one of them is running five hours and change and one of them is running eight hours and change. One of them's objectively doing more work than the other. And I would not say one is a better or a worse runner. They're all running 40 miles a week. One just happens to be faster than the other. But if we're all running the same distance and one is doing more work, objectively, the person who's doing the higher amount of actual work technically would be the person who's doing the best if that's how we measure it. So you can see where it breaks down. You can see where the measurement that only looking at weekly distance, weekly mileage, weekly kilometers breaks down. And you might say, yeah, yeah, but I don't compare myself to other people. I just compare myself to what I've been running in the previous, in the past. Like I only care, care what I, I'm running in my distance. That's fine. But you can also see situations in which that's going to change, right? Like summer shows up, all of a sudden you're slower on everything because it's hot, which is completely normal. And you're not running as much mileage per week. And you get really bummed out because you're like, oh my God, I'm barely like I'm running less. No, you're not. You're probably running the same amount, but you're just spending the same amount of time running, even if your volume has decreased. So which matters? Well, they both matter, right? At the end of the day, they kind of, you kind of need both. But if you're only, if you're, if you're come back to this to say, well, I only compare my distance to the distance that I previously, I don't really care what anybody else is doing. That, that comparison matters too. So all of this is just food for thought, food for thought, thinking about who we are, how much time we're doing, different things. This all matters because all of this actually does feed into what to inform you of the training that you're doing, to become bought in, to become a student of the sport, to better understand what it is that you are actually doing and accomplishing and trying to accomplish every single time you go for a run. I hope you've enjoyed my discourse on time versus distance-based training. Always more to learn. This is also a topic, I mean, I know that there are people who are adherents to one or the other, coaches to one or the other. I do personally believe that any good coach should be able to train you by either time or distance or probably, possibly, usually a combination of both. And there are also ways that you as the runner can understand how to apply time versus distance or when one is more appropriate than the other in your training. And that's just going to make you a better runner because now you know more. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Don't forget, you can always find and follow me on Instagram at running explained. And if you're looking for a coach or a training plan, check me out. Visit my website, runningexplained.co. That's runningexplained.co. See you next time. This content is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health provider with any questions you have regarding a medical condition.